With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is going on, everyone? Merry Christmas and happy holidays, and welcome into the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of Land Grant Holy Land. We're on take two of the intro here, and we want to welcome you into today's show. My name is Colton Denning, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Patrick Chayhorn. Patrick, what's up, man? Man, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, it's, you like what uh, I did there? Yeah, I liked that. I, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> it's been a while, and I, I we were talking about this before we started the show. It's been a while since we did a preview podcast. I think it's been about a month, and um, that's what this episode is, by the way, for, for people listening. This is the uh, Ohio State-Washington Rose Bowl preview podcast, and I kind of forget how we do them. <laughs> like, I, I have the general idea of how to um, how to preview a football game. But I, I kind of I forget our, our general approach to this whole thing. So this this episode will be just a complete catastrophe, which is, I think, actually kind of why people listen is to see um, when it'll fully break us. It's been nice to not have to yell about Greg Schiano for about a month. That's been super cool. But unlike Greg Schiano, our future on this podcast is pretty set in stone. We are going to be here. But yeah, we're here to talk about. The Sugar the sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl, man, I'm having a tough one today. The Rose Bowl between Ohio State and Washington. And in talking about this game, this is one of like the, the weirder games I think that I've previewed since I've been here at Lane Grant and done the podcast. And maybe the closest one I can think of is that Fiesta Bowl. In 2015 against Notre Dame where Ohio State had the similar season to what it had this year and then played an opponent that, that I think that they're on a level above and they should be able to, I think, beat the brakes off them. We'll, we'll get into it, and that's not to try to discredit Washington here. There's a couple reasons I think that, but this is one where you know I, I feel relatively comfortable even after all of the – concerns we've had about Ohio State all year and even putting the Michigan game aside and there's going to be a lot of change similar to that 2015 team there were all those dudes going off to the NFL there's a few guys going to the NFL after this game but you know more not more importantly but the major story is obviously Urban Meyer's last game but there's still a lot to play for in this Rose Bowl and, and it should be a lot of fun but this is an interesting game that I think a lot of times we focus on the X's and O's and how the stat profiles lay. But for me, a lot of the talk for this game lies on everything going on off the field and even the stuff with, with Justin Fields as well. There's just a lot of off-field stuff when it comes to this game. And, and it's not bad. It's actually positive. Yeah, it's definitely – I think that the 2015 Notre Dame game is a pretty good comparison because Ohio State was, just like in 2015, pretty close to the playoff, obviously didn't end up making it in, and then 
they go to a major bowl. I mean, the Rose Bowl is awesome. The Rose Bowl is extremely good. And I, I remember we were talking about before the playoff was announced that we were, you know, kind of hoping that Ohio State would be in the Rose Bowl because it's a really cool game and situation. But they're in a major bowl against a team that is, um, I don't want to say significantly worse because Ohio State lost to Purdue by 30 points this year and didn't look good really all year except for the very end. But a Washington team that does not have the ceiling that Ohio State has and doesn't even really have the floor that Ohio State has. It's a it's a Washington team that has been pretty good this year. I mean they're they're in the Rose Bowl. They they were good enough to to win the Pac-12, but the Pac-12 was really weak this year. And the you know I, I think that this is not necessarily the best Washington team, even of the last couple of years, going back to when they were in the playoff a couple of years ago. And it, it's just, it's a Washington team with some pretty, pretty obvious deficiencies. And we've known what those deficiencies are with this Washington team really since Jake Browning became the quarterback and, and since Miles Gaskin was the running back. And it feels like Washington has been the same team now for, for several years in a row. And, we kind of know what to expect from them from a a football perspective. So I I think that you're right to say that the off-field stuff, be it Justin Fields, be it Urban Meyer's retirement, be it pretty much the entire receiver's room going to the NFL or Dwayne Haskins possibly going to the NFL or whatever it may be, that off-the-field motivation stuff is just as interesting as the actual game itself. And I think in terms of the actual game itself, I'm not super convinced this is going to be a real close game. I I think um, I think Washington might just be kind of uh, like the Pokemon Evolved version of Northwestern. I, I think that they're they're real similar teams. Washington's got a better offense, obviously, but just the the way that they play, the playing up from recruiting production. Um, and general style, I, I think it could be a pretty similar game to that Northwestern game, especially if Ohio State is um, good, which it, it seems like they are right now. Um, but if Ohio State's bad, like they were for most of the year, it could it could go pretty differently from that Northwestern game for pretty obvious reasons. That's an excellent point, and to me, that's where this game really comes down to, is if Ohio State just doesn't, stumble all over themselves they they should at the very least I think be able to control this game and be able to win comfortably and you brought up the the ceiling the difference in the ceiling and in the floors between these two teams you know Washington hasn't been at an elite level all year but for most of the season they've been good maybe sometimes pretty good but really nothing above that I mean I got the chance to see them up close at the Pac-12 championship game and buddy, let let me tell you about that game. The only thing that happened was Washington scored a defensive touchdown off a ball that went off somebody's leg. Like that's that's the margin for error for their offense this season. And this is a very experienced offense with a starting senior quarterback, four-year starter, basically a four-year starting running back, senior leading rusher in school history, and they have just been very ho-hum offensively in Probably the biggest matchup in this game and where I most fear Washington is their defense, and most particularly in that secondary. They have 
one of the best, if not the best, secondaries in the country. Byron Murphy is, is a kid that's going to make a lot of money playing in the NFL here very soon. But that's really the matchup, I think, in this game is Ohio State's receivers and Washington's secondary. And it's cool that it ended up this way because after a season where we were so worried about the wide receivers and they end up being the best group on the team, this is their chance to, to put a final stamp on their season and really their legacy and to do it against one of the better secondaries in the country. Yeah, it should be a really, really fun matchup. Ohio State's offense against Washington's defense. Um, the other side of that matchup is a trash fire that I don't think anyone should be subjected to watch. Ohio State's defense and Washington's offense um, should not legally be allowed to be on the field together at the same time. And um, just you, you mentioned Washington being um, just pretty good this year, not great at any time. I think that the best score to to kind of uh, illustrate that is from October 27th at Cal. Uh, they lost 12 to 10. And I, I don't know if you managed to watch the cheese it Bowl last night between Cal, oh, I did. between Cal and TCU. Um, who boy, 12 points to Cal is a little steep. That's a little bit too many <laughs> points to be given up to Cal because Cal can't, um, they don't know how to play offense. They don't, really understand what the rules of football are and Justin Wilcox really only seems to to know what defense is I, I don't think they have an offensive coordinator or a quarterback or really any of the necessary positions to play offense so Washington losing that game is not a great sign for for the Washington offense or Washington football team in general but I, I do agree that the the back seven of Washington is is awesome they're you know, you mentioned Byron Murphy. They got Taylor Rapp, Miles Bryant, um, you know, even at linebacker Ben Burkhurvin. These guys are really, really good. And it, it feels like Washington every year has a really dominant defensive tackle as well. I think this year it's Greg Gaines, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And knowing Ohio State's interior line, that could cause some issues. I know that that's kind of what we thought going into the Michigan game, and it didn't end up playing out like that, which was great for, you know, Buckeye fans and Ohio State in general, but I'm not super sure that this offensive line can have kind of another out-of-body experience like they did in that game, and I, I think that Greg Gaines can cause some pretty serious troubles for not just the rushing attack, but he's he's pretty good at getting to the quarterback, and Dwayne Haskins has been awesome against pressure recently, but I, I think that Washington and Chris Peterson are capable of bringing some, some pressure that he maybe hasn't seen before that would be a little bit tricky to him, and then over the top you have this awesome defensive backfield and um, these you know, two lockdown corners, safeties, who you really can't get anything past. It'll be a really, really fun matchup. I, I think that it's you know, Ohio State's passing attack against this Washington pass defense is probably, if not the best matchup of the bowl season, it's right up there with the best. It's you know, like maybe Oklahoma's offensive line against Alabama's defensive line like but outside of that it's it doesn't really get better than that and I'm I'm really really excited to see how it looks I would be pretty surprised too if Ohio State comes in with the same or a very similar game plan to what they had against Michigan because on that first drive they just killed them with crossing routes and then they tried it again and it worked and Ryan Day was like I imagine him just looking over at Don Brown like really you're just going to let us do this all game? Like, did you not watch any film? And I, I don't think that Washington is going to make the same mistake 
Don Brown did and just let them do that over and over again. So I'd be surprised if Ohio State didn't vary it up a little bit more offensively, especially given that Washington's secondary is so good. Maybe that means more J.K. Dobbins. Maybe it means a little more Mike Weber. Maybe a couple deeper shots downfield. There's really no reason for them not to go for it in this game and to be able to to look their best and come up with a couple different wrinkles. But, you know, we, we know what the passing game is. They've pretty much had success all season. Even in the spots they struggled a little bit, they were still able to put up raw yardage and numbers. But to me, really, if this game gets out of hand in Ohio State's favor, obviously the passing game will have, have to work. But the it comes down to the running game as well. You know, J.K. Dobbins in that interior line, like you said, Washington has some very big boys on the inside of that defensive line. And if Ohio State isn't able to generate some push and get, you know, six, seven yards on first down, like when their offense runs its best, that's what they're able to do. That's when you might see, you know, Dwayne Haskins with the 50, 55 pass attempts. And maybe even even though that's what they do best, that's probably where Washington wants to get them into is just completely shut down the run and get Ohio State into those second and eight, third and seven type of situations because it's tough for any team to have success in those, even a team with as talented a quarterback as Dwayne Haskins is. Yeah, Washington's defense is awesome on passing downs. They're uh, they're ninth in passing downs, S&P+. Plus. Um, not as good on, on standard downs, which is where Ohio State would certainly like to be. I, I do think that Washington's defensive strengths may not match up perfectly with what Ohio State does on offense. I think Washington is perfectly suited to play against a team like Oklahoma. I think that that would be a really, really fun matchup is is Washington's defense against Oklahoma's offense. But um, the thing that Washington's defense is so good at is shutting down explosive plays. They really don't allow big plays um, of really of any kind, be it on the ground or in the air because of how good those safeties are and because of how good their linebackers are. But um, and it, it changed a little bit against Michigan and against Northwestern. But for the most part, Ohio State's not a huge explosiveness team. That's that's really not what this offense is predicated on. It's much more of an efficiency-based offense. It's much more of the underneath stuff. And you mentioned, like, the Michigan game. I, I don't think that, um, that Chris Peterson or Jimmy Lake, um, Washington's defensive coordinator, are really going to let um, Ohio State just throw drag routes all game, but I do think Ohio State could get some of those in there. I think if if Ryan Day is given full uh, control over the the play sheet and the plays that are called, which I imagine he will be, um, I think Ohio State can scheme up a a comprehensive game plan to take advantage of the various things that Washington does and to attack their weaknesses and that's certainly what I would I would like to see obviously as a, a fan of the team but it, I do think that um, Ohio State's offensive strengths do benefit them a little bit in, in this game and as they do in every game but because of what Ohio State is good at I'm not sure if Washington's defense can be as dominant as it usually is especially because Ohio State puts up points on anybody I mean uh, Ohio State this season, save for one or two games, was able to score in you know large numbers against everyone they played, and I think that because they can they can move the ball underneath because Dwayne Haskins is so good at those quick routes, 
they can still take advantage of this Washington defense a little bit and move the ball down the field. And it, it may not be a 50-point game or, or anything like that from Ohio State, but I do think that like 35 is is a pretty reasonable um, a pretty reasonable number to set it at for Ohio State. I'm not sure what the over under is for this game, but I think if Ohio State scores 35, they probably win this game. Moving away from, and I, I agree with you. I think 35 on this Washington defense would be a hefty feat, and I don't foresee Washington's offense being able to put up 35 and turn this into a shootout. But moving away from either just straight up offensive or defensive talk. One of the things that a lot of fan bases like to discuss when it comes to these bowl games, especially when you're working with very talented kids, is bowl practices and who are the players that have shown out the most and who's going to make an impact in the bowl game that maybe we haven't seen before. And probably the best idea or case for this was Von Bell in that Orange Bowl against Clemson. If you had to pick any player from either side of the ball, who who do you think is going to be the Von Bell of the Rose Bowl, or will will we even have any? Well, if um, it, generally, if we're looking at the the history of this staff this season, we probably won't have any unless there's an injury, because that seems to just be kind of how they operate. Um, I'd love to see someone like uh, like a Tyreek Johnson, like a Josh Proctor get into the game. I'm not sure what their redshirt status is like, and if it it means blowing a red shirt. I'm I'm not super in favor of that. But in the in the defensive backfield, I would love to see some young guys get a chance in the game. We we saw it last year um, in the uh, the USC game. We saw Jeffrey Okuda get into the game. We saw we saw Sean Wade get into the game because Denzel Ward was sitting out. And there's not that um, that opportunity this year because off the top of my head, no Buckeyes are are sitting out. I I don't think that there's there's a single one that is um, that's skipping this game. But <clears throat> I, I do think the defensive backfield would be a great spot for that, be it safety or cornerback, because there's going to have to be some replacements there next year. There, there are going to be some open spots in, in spring ball, in you know both corner and safety, and in, in fall ball for, for that, because I think Damon Arnett's probably gone. I think Jordan Fuller's probably gone. I think Kendall Sheffield could be gone, and it's going to be... A new look there next year, which is probably for the best for Ohio State. But um, outside of that, I would love to see Baron Browning get a chance to to play some some more significant time. He was pretty good at the beginning of the season relative to how the rest of the season went at linebacker. Um, offensively, there's not a ton. I, I, I don't think it would be nice to get some confirmation on the status of uh, Brian Sneed. I'm not sure if you've you followed this at all, but it seems like Brian Sneed is kind of... Yeah. I'm not really sure what's going on there. It seems like he's with the program, but he might not be with the program, and he's suspended, but he might not be suspended. It's uh, I'm I'm not super sure what, what's all going on there, and uh, hopefully everything is, is all right in that front, and, and you know, hopefully nothing... Nothing terrible happened with uh, with Brian Sneed or related to Brian Sneed. Um, maybe maybe just more Chris Olave. I, I think outside of that, there's there's really not a ton of of um, of young guys we're going to get to see uh, in this game just because there's really not the opportunity for for those guys to break through on this team. It's a it's a pretty cemented uh, starting twenty two. I think for Ohio State. Yeah, when you really go down the list, it, it does seem that way. And on the the subject of Sneed, Urban Meyer did the super coach thing where he was asked if anybody didn't make the trip 
And he responded with something along the lines of, well, everybody who was supposed to make the trip made the trip. It's <laughs> awesome, like, <"All> right. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> who knows then? But yeah, that, that's a good point is that it, there isn't, there isn't even like you can't come up with one spot where like, hey, this young guy is going to play. It's like, hey, we'd like to see Baron Browning. You know, maybe we'd like to see Haskell Garrett or one of those other young defensive tackles if Ohio State has an early lead and you don't want to play Draymond Jones. 80 snaps in this game. You see some of those young defensive tackles start to rotate. Um, offensively, probably just more Olave. But even even then, it's hard because this receiver group is so deep that you just yeah, there's no there's no room for just one guy. It's it's going to be everybody, especially given that it's a lot of these kids' last game. So there really isn't a spot there. Maybe somebody will pop up. It'd be great if somebody in the secondary, especially at one of those corner spots, if a young dude was able to to play and be able to really show out. I think we were so encouraged with Jeff Okuda in that USC game last year, and we really didn't get to see much of that this season. Hopefully there'll be a lot more next season, but if he does see a lot of the field in the Rose Bowl, this could be a good launching point for him because those spots, like you said, are going to be up for grabs. And even if those two don't go to the NFL, I would be shocked if we don't see any sort of change in either one, if not both of those spots next year. And hopefully that's something that's starting to take place in the lead up to this game going on when they're practicing right now. Are, are there any other matchups that you're really looking forward to? It, it doesn't, at least to me, there, there really isn't a lot about this game where I think you can super dive in outside of we, what we already talked about with the matchup of the receivers versus the DBs in Ohio State's offense against Washington's defense, because I, I really don't want to dive into <laughs> Washington's <laughs> offense. They're bad, and we already, we've already we watched Ohio State's defense all season. Yeah, um, I, I don't I, I don't know much about this this Washington offense outside of just uh, they're pretty trash. Uh, their their yards aren't terrible. They they seem to put up numbers, but in general, um, their their offense is pretty largely disappointing. They they really uh, they seem to have a ceiling of about twenty seven. <laughs> it seems like against most teams with a um, with a heartbeat. But I mean. Jake Browning, I, I don't know how you feel about Jake Browning. I think Jake Browning is, is kind of um, like a a lesser version of JT Barrett in that he was just there forever, and as a freshman he was so awesome, and it, it felt like he was going to be this transcendent player, and he just ended up being pretty good. I mean, JT Barrett was obviously very good, which is why uh, Jake Browning is like the downgraded version of him, but they just never really improved uh, from that first year. And that first year was kind of a ceiling. And now Washington just kind of has Jake Browning, and he's just just sitting there. They they really don't know what to do with him. And he wasn't terrible this year. I mean, he he completed sixty five percent of his passes, ten interceptions to sixteen touchdowns. And it was it was all right. He's he's really he's nothing special. Um, I'm looking forward to the one absolutely baffling mistake that he will surely make because he <laughs> he's required by law to like as he's being sacked throw the ball straight up in the air at least once a game and um that'll be enjoyable we might get to see Bob Lander score a touchdown or something but um offensively speaking maybe the running game can can get something going on Ohio State's front seven um 
as I'm sure the listeners know, we are not super confident in this this front seven, specifically the three in the back of the front seven. The the front four are fine, but um, I'm I'm not convinced the linebackers can can handle Miles Gaskin. He's pretty good. He's he's certainly not great or anything, but he he picks up yards and he's um, he's tough to bring down. He's pretty fast, so there there could be some some big play issues there if Ohio State isn't prepared for it, but. Outside of him, um, there there's really not much on this offense. The receivers aren't particularly good, which is I think a big reason of uh, why Washington has taken this this big step back this season. Because in years past, they had Dante Pettis, they had John Ross, they had these really really great receivers, and now they've got Aaron Fuller, and he's he's all right. I mean he's he's pretty good. They got Ty Jones, who's who's okay, but. Outside of that, there's just not a ton on this Washington offense, and they're really not a whole lot of fun to watch. And neither is Ohio State's defense, and that's kind of um, I'm, I'm not super looking forward to that part of the game. Do you know those like knockoff brands of cereal they have at Walmart that like come in the bags? Is that Jake Browning for JT Barrett? Yeah, <laughs> Jake, Jake Browning is the fruit rings to JT Barrett's Fruit Loops. Like it's not even he's not even you can't say like oh he's the light version. No, he is like the knockoff cereal that comes in like the four pound bag that you just have to lug around because you can't get the Fruit Loops. That is what Jake Browning is and. Where this game to me could be similar to what we saw last year in that USC game is how, I'm, how good is Washington at protecting him? What's what's their adjusted sack rate on offense? Do you have that on hand? Um, I can in just a second. They are six point two percent, fifty seventh in the country. They're pretty much exactly average. Yeah, so they're they're not they're not terrible. They're not great. They're you know they're they're fine at it. I, I think if we could see a lot of what we saw against Sam Darnold last year, where if Chase Young is having a big day, if those ends are, are really getting to the quarterback, if they're getting some inside pressure, Draymond Jones is able to handle their interior linemen. You may see like five, six sacks. And if there's pressure on Browning, then I, I think it's over for Washington before it even begins. Because like you said, he is going to make one or two just like baffling for anybody, not even a four-year starter, but just a baffling mistake or two. And if Ohio State is able to force a fumble, get a pick six, that's something that I think is even early on. That's somewhere if that happens, you're like, this, this game is over. I, I really do think that this is a game that if Washington isn't careful could slip out of their hands very quickly because if they get down 10, 14, 17 points, they just don't have the firepower and Browning really just doesn't have it to, to lead them back from this. So I think that that to me is the key. If Ohio State forces a couple turnovers, if they avoid shooting themselves in the foot, you're going to be able to see them roll. I'm kind of concerned. Um, you mentioned the the high sack numbers. I'm kind of concerned that this could feel a lot like last year's game against USC did, where um, you know Ohio State just not not that their defense is like shutting down Washington. I don't think Ohio State's defense could shut down anybody this year, but that Washington is just too incompetent to score. That Jake Browning can't physically throw the ball forward far enough to get it into the end zone or that they just can't they just can't score 
Um, and Ohio State does enough that they can win the game pretty comfortably. Let's say they score, you know, like 24 points like they did last year, and then they just kind of sit on it. They they just, um, like they did against Northwestern, where they, they had what they needed, and then they kind of let Northwestern get back into the game, and then they pulled away again. And They're like, oh, yeah, we have <laughs> the best quarterback in the country. Let's yeah. throw the ball. Yeah, I, I think it could be one of those where, like, the entire third quarter is spent running sweeps with Mike Weber for one yard and um, we get really mad online because it becomes like a three-point game and then Ohio State wins by 20 and all of our mentions are like why were you guys so mad about this game they won didn't they because uh, our f- followers are morons <laughs> wow wow only some of them tell us how you really feel some of them are very nice I had control of the account for a brief amount of time on signing day and most of them were very nice some of them asked um some pretty bad questions <laughs> but but the rest were very nice but um whenever we write anything usually it's me that that writes it because i'm um fervently anti-ohio state as people know um about how ohio state didn't actually look as good as the final score indicated people get real mad about it because they don't watch the games or something but um, I, I think it could be one of those where Ohio State really doesn't look all that good and they win by 15 and everyone feels worse after watching it than they did before watching it. I run the account on game days and live tweet if Man. you guys are interested who, who <laughs> you should yell at for, for sending the tweets on game days. But I just delete the mentions column off Twitter. Yeah. I don't even look. Yeah. Um, do you think that this being Urban Meyer's last game will play into this at all? Because is is non-identifiable or like non-tangible it is you can't really put anything to that until it happens based off of what all of their players have said I I do think that that's going to have a big impact on this game and it's it's super hard for me to see them losing in his last game against a team that clearly they're better than they have a higher ceiling like you said they have a higher floor and unless something completely goes wrong, I just I find it hard to believe that they would lose his last game. If you're an outsider and not an Ohio State fan, that may be like the funniest thing ever is they do this, they win the Big Ten, and then they lose Urban Meyer's last game after just like walloping Michigan. But I find it really hard to believe that with everything at stake in this game, winning a Rose Bowl, this is Urban Meyer's first Rose Bowl. They haven't been since the Oregon game in 09. I just think it's it's not impossible for them to lose in the situation, but I, I think they'd really have to mess up to do it. Do you think that if Ohio State loses this game, Urban Meyer tries to get the job back? I, no, I think he could. I think if, if <laughs> I, I truly believed when he said, what was it, earlier this week or last week, that if they would have lost to Michigan, he would have stuck around for sure. I believe that 100%. But given everything that's happened in recruiting and all of the changes that I'm sure behind the scenes have taken place. And, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, or whether they want to admit it, even if those guys like each other, there's a lot of ego involved in being able to step aside and give up that position to somebody. I mean, and and do it at least publicly as easy and as smooth and as graceful as they have. That takes a lot because all of these guys have egos even if they're nice people like you don't just have to be a jackass to have an ego and it's clear that urban meyer has a very large one you know no matter what you think about him as a person and for this to go as smoothly as it has i think we're at the point where it's of no return maybe he goes and coaches somewhere else but 
I that would be like the most shocking thing in the world to me. Yeah, I I saw that that quote about how if they lose the Michigan game, he comes back, and I was, I don't know if confused is the right word for it, but I was a little surprised that not just that he said that, but um, the implication of that because he's retiring because of health, right? Like that's the the whole thing that he's said is that he would like to coach more, but he's not healthy enough. So is he saying there if they lose to Michigan, then he coaches through another year of not being healthy? Because that's like, that's not good for anyone involved. I mean, we saw what Ohio State looked like with an unhealthy Urban Meyer. I mean, the last two years, I think, have been led by an Urban Meyer who can't quite focus on the football because he's not in a good place physically. He's he's not able to do the, the day-to-day stuff, and that's what we've been saying on here for you know months now, even going back to last season. And... I uh, it's you know it's it's obviously just a hypothetical at this point it's a what if um because Ohio State didn't lose to Michigan they they won convincingly and joyously and wonderfully but if Urban Meyer does come back what does that even look like because i mean this season there have been you know stories written now as the season is is ending about how Gene Smith had a a plan if Urban Meyer ever went down again on the sideline like he did against Indiana and you know they would they would have to get Urban Meyer off the field quickly and it, it's just i i don't i don't know how much of that was just him saying saying it just to make Ohio State fans feel better like you know like LeBron James does whenever he's asked where he would have gone to college and he says Ohio State um, I don't know if it was just one of those or if it was legitimately if Ohio State loses those games, you know, if Ohio State loses that game, we have a, a dying Urban Meyer on the sideline trying to, you know, get one last win over Michigan. And I don't know that that whole exchange, obviously, it really doesn't matter in the end, but it was just very strange to me. It was it was all bizarre. And I, I think that I. Um, I think I care significantly less than quite a few Buckeye fans about like if Urban Meyer ever does get another job. I, I really, I don't care if Urban Meyer's the is is the assistant athletic director. I don't care if he's coaching a class or teaching a class. I don't care if he's coaching elsewhere. I, I really, whatever. He's his own guy. He can do what he wants. But it, it it was just strange to me the idea that if Ohio State didn't win one football game, that would have been enough to keep Urban Meyer around and. I, I don't I don't know. Well, we might have to look into that further <laughs> at some point down the line, um, depending on how Urban Meyer's health turns out and, and what the future looks like for him, if it's in coaching or if he's really done with coaching, because it's, it's just a strange situation there. To me, it says a couple of things. One, that everything everybody around him has said about him needing to be in control is absolutely true because <laughs> yeah. that's that's just how he feels and that, and that's why I can buy it in him being around here for what since 2012 you know beforehand you heard the stories that he's he's kind of known for being for having a lot of hyperbole in what he says and oh this is a I, I love this kid like a son he's like you know he's the best guy I've ever been around he's the most charismatic guy I've ever been around he could be a little bit hyperbolic at, at certain points but to me him saying that really does you know kind of cement that yeah he's a control freak and to the point of his health and being able to risk that and I think that that quote is probably 
evidence case number one of why he should never coach again and why I, I really do think that he never will because his this has happened twice and now he's much older, has a grandchild, has this thing with his brain. Like if, if that's where you are health-wise, there's just no way I think that you can be able to continue. And then two, I got to think of my point here. Shit. <laughs> We should leave all this in. (laughs) What were we we talking about? Um, Um, Urban Meyer leaving or not leaving because of the Michigan game. Oh, I I think it it shows whoever asked him about his legacy at that press conference when they transitioned to day, he gave an honest answer that I don't think a lot of coaches would and that he really thinks about it. And that goes back to the control as well. That's how much he thinks about his legacy. He was – what he finished his career seven and zero against Michigan, eight and zero against Michigan, seven and zero. For for him, if he finished six and one for that one loss to have that big of a mark where his health is that bad, and for him to want to come back, that just goes to show how much not only he wants to be in control, but how much he thinks about his legacy. I mean, this is a guy that's won three national championships, has won countless conference championships, has had undefeated teams, has sent numerous players to the NFL to have the greatest success and even guys that he hasn't that haven't had success in the NFL have been some of the greatest players in modern college football history to for him to lose one game like that and to say hey at the risk of my health I will come back that's how much he thinks of his legacy that's how much he wants to be in control and that's like that's otherworldly man that's stuff where you wonder how these guys can be as obsessive and how they can be as successful as they are. That's that's really it right there is to be able to think in that sort of minute detail and you know it's unhealthy as hell like and we we see it around coaching as a whole and he's just another coach on that list where he's put so much of his life basically all of his life and everything he has into it that even one game losing that one would be enough to push him to a place where it's like, no, I want to come back at the risk of my health. So really that's, that's what makes him unique and why it's so clear that he needs to step away. Yeah. I I think that, um, I think we're definitely in agreement on this podcast that it was probably time for urban Meyer to go away for Um, everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that all involved parties were probably in need of a, of a switch. Um, and I, I know that there are Buckeye fans who are still not super happy about the way that things went down. And um, I think my favorite, I think my favorite online theory that I've seen is that, um, you know, the 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 higher ups at Ohio State, like Michael Drake and and Gene Smith and the administrators in general, were out to get Urban Meyer, which is ridiculous for about three hundred reasons. Um, but I, I think that you know, and this is this is probably the the last that we'll really talk in detail about this because Urban Meyer's about to not be Ohio State's coach anymore, and um, I'm sure he'll be in the news still somehow. But um, I, I think that the timing is right. I don't think he was forced out. I think that it was just time for Brian Day to take over, time for Urban Meyer to do something new, and um, I think it was definitely for the best for for all involved parties and. Um, not to not to transition too hard away, but this is about the hardest transition I can do. Speaking of coaches and things that relate heavily to this podcast, 
Um, ESPN announced the coaches' room, the coaches' film room for the playoff. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but um, during the playoff stuff, they have different coaches on to talk about what's actually happening during the game. And the um, the names here relate so directly to this podcast that I think we might have to do like a live stream of us <laughs> watching it. Because uh, for the Cotton Bowl, they got Mac Brown, oh yeah, Dave Clawson, Paul Johnson, Mike Norvell for the Orange Bowl. Steve Adazio, Herm Edwards, Brian Harson, Gary Patterson. Hell yeah. Damn. That is quite Hell the yeah. list. Eight bangers. <laughs> I like that a lot. I am disappointed, I will say, even though he's not in college anymore. Uh, the greatest one ever was with Bert. Bert has to be yeah. on these because he's just such a legend <laughs> in those film rooms. Mac is going to be a treasure. You just know he's he's going to sneak his recruiting pitches in like, Oh, baby, it would look great if that Carolina blue was on this field in due time, though. <laughs> Man, uh, it's it's good that they separated Mac and Herm because I think they might fight. You know, they, they're trying to they're in the same land, really, with the whole um, being like seven years out of coaching and getting hired again. I'll beat your so, ass for this four star Herm. Don't push me yeah. over the edge, you son of a bitch. <laughs> So it's too bad that we were we were robbed of that. But um, I, I think sleeper choice in there for best coach, Mike Norvell. Mike Norvell really knows his stuff, and I'm, I'm excited to, to watch that. We probably won't actually live stream that because I don't think we have the capability or the the interest. But, um, whoo boy, that's a, that's a holy land pot approved <laughs> coaching room. I've actually watched, instead of the broadcast, for at least the playoff in the non or at least the national championship in some of the non national the just the playoff games I've watched the Skycam broadcast over the uh like the actual broadcast and yeah. if if you're okay with not seeing replays that's like the one drawback to it and you're a little behind if you like Chromecast it or watch on a Roku or whatever if you can just stay off Twitter at least until like halftime or during breaks, it's a lot of fun because it allows you to see the game from from a different sort of sort of angle, and you really have to focus on the game. And that's what I always like to do for the playoff is just watch those SkyCam broadcasts. And for a game like uh, Alabama Oklahoma, that game is built to watch on SkyCam with what Oklahoma does offensively in some of their schemes and of course just watching Alabama up close so if any of you are looking for a different way to watch the games I would highly recommend sky or Skycam for those yeah I would agree with that I, I think that that Alabama Oklahoma is is best watched on like the widest camera that you can find so you can see the ball just flying all over the field and uh, Notre Dame Clemson on the other hand is best watched uh, not on a television but on a like a ham radio from the 40s. That may be a game where I don't even watch. Like I, well, I may, Notre I may Dame's skip in that it, one. So you know you you have to listen to it on the radio. <laughs> if Notre Dame is in the game, you have to listen to it on the radio. That's the only way to consume a Notre Dame game. Stock up on those double A batteries. We got so you got far like a wind up TV. We got so far away from the Rose Bowl. We never actually gave. An actual prediction. Do you have one before we get out of here? Oh man, um, let's go. Let's go. Thirty-four twenty. Ohio State. That sounds about right. If you know they're they're up thirty-four to to thirteen late in the game, Washington adds a touchdown. Like we really haven't gotten into the X's and O's here, and we we talked a little bit about stat profile stuff. But I just want to reiterate what I've said all podcast is. 
I would be super surprised if Ohio State doesn't roll in this one. And we haven't been like the Ohio State's going to whoop these guys podcast all year. But not even looking back to the Michigan game, I just think the way that they match up with Washington, what's at stake, everything we talked about off field, this being Urban Meyer's last game, this probably being Dwayne Haskins and all of those receivers last game. I think they're going to go out with a bang. And I think that Ohio State looks the best that they've looked all season, even including that Michigan game, and they win 41-17, to and they really roll, and they end a season which has been really good by basically 99% of college football standards and has just been a little up and down for as much as a 12-1 and team and Big Ten championship team can be. They ended on a really positive note, and we fondly remember this season for what they did against Michigan and them sending Urban Meyer off with the Rose Bowl win. And you know what? For not making the playoff, that's a pretty damn good way to uh, to end a season, and I'm more than okay with that. Yeah, I, I, I think that a a Rose Bowl win would be pretty cool. I, I, I have no issue with that. I, I think that that's um, probably just about where this team deserves to be. I, I wrote a, a column after the playoff thing was announced that Ohio State got what they deserved. I think that this is it. I, I think that... Ohio State was a Rose Bowl caliber team this year, and they get to play in the Rose Bowl. And I I think that they're probably a Rose Bowl winning caliber team this year, especially given who the competition is. And I think that they, you know, I'm not sure if I'm as confident in it as as you are. I do think that there's a chance that they do come out just completely flat and and get blown out because they have done that before this year. But I, I do think that Ohio State probably wins this game, and I, I think they probably do it handily because um, they're better than Washington. They're they're a, a better team, not significantly, but they they are better, and I, I think that they um, that they they show it on the do field. Do you think this will be one where like Urban Meyer gets carried off, but also Bill Davis, Greg Shudrawa, and Greg Schiano get carried off, and everybody's like, "Wow, that was really weird that those three would get carried off." But then the players just skip going to the locker room and just keep walking out of the stadium with those three on their shoulders. And then they're like, why are we at the beach? And the players just dump them off some pier into the ocean. That would be the ideal Rose Bowl for me. Well, it's already in Los Angeles, so Greg Schiano can just take the USC job. Hey, let's let's make it happen. Clay Helton, you need a DC, buddy. Let's let's make it happen. Uh, the Rams, do, do they need somebody? Wade Phillips, is he their still defensive coordinator? Sean McVay, you interested in a uh, little Greg Schiano action? Yeah. Offensive innovator Greg Sadrawa could take the Rams' um, <laughs> offensive line job. I'm, I'm sure that they, I'm sure that they'd love to have him. If Greg Schiano and Cliff Kingsbury ever meet, that's the end of the world. Todd Gurley would catch an assault charge if he met Greg Sadrawa in like 38 seconds after that first game. It's going down. The skill players are beating him up. Yeah, I don't think Greg would would survive in the in the NFL. I think that they would fight him for what he does to offensive line. Well, as we end. Uh, it's a good place to end the podcast on the assault note of Ohio State's Yeah, coaches. with a with a threat towards Greg Stadrawa. <laughs> right now, we really got off the deep end there. But we're going to sign off on that. We will be back in the new year to recap Ohio State's Rose Bowl game against Washington. Hopefully have a Justin Fields, uh, just a strictly Justin Fields episode when that era hopefully starts. We'll have more news. No recap, yeah, just, just Justin, Justin Fields. Fields talk for three hours on the next episode, but we'll be back to discuss everything going on. A lot of basketball stuff, that Michigan State game, 
is coming up as well. So there will be no shortage of Holy Land podcasts or content from LandGrantHolyLand.com. Go to LandGrantHolyLand. Follow us on Twitter at LandGrant33. Follow the show on Twitter at HolyLandPod. Send us cease and desist letters about talking about assault from Ohio State's coaches. I'm at Dubs Co. Patrick is at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. And you can find the show on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. But for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. We want to thank you guys for listening to the show for all of 2018. Hope you guys are having a happy holidays and enjoy your new year and be safe. But until next time, we will talk to you right here on the Hangout in the Holy Land and go Bucks.